This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Oh, the Twitter files, the Twitter files. With each new dump, we learn more of what we already knew with the side of OMG, WTF, and are you freaking kidding me? The show starts now. So I think we're on Twitter files dump four or five at this point. Honestly, after the drop that revealed the blacklist, it all became a big we told you so blur. The extent that big tech, big media, big government, and on occasion add in some big pharma went and likely still go to censor content they don't agree with or simply want to hush is terrifying. But what's worse? How little the left seems to care about it. The mainstream media, along with elected Democrats and heads of state, do not give a rat's hiney that conservatives, doctors who sounded the alarm on COVID schemes, and of course a sitting president, have been completely screwed over and manipulated by not just liberal, green-haired Twitter employees, but the freaking U.S. government. And there are those who are still trying to pull the, Twitter is a private company. They don't have to respect basic free speech or uphold the First Amendment. Like this ankle-biting tyrant, Ted Lieu, from my former district in Southern California, who wants you and Elon Musk to know that he truly supports big tech censorship because he benefits from it. And while it may be true, Twitter doesn't have to be a pillar of free speech Government officials colluding with private companies to censor and politically engineer public information and discourse? Yeah, that is illegal and that is unconstitutional. Oh, and so is lying to Congress under oath, Jack Dorsey? I want to read a few quotes about Twitter's practices and I just want you to tell me if they're true or not. Uh, Social media is being rigged to censor conservatives. Is that true of Twitter? No. I don't know what Twitter is up to. It sure looks like to me that they're censoring people and they ought to stop it. Uh, Are you censoring people? No. Twitter shadow banning prominent Republicans. Bad. Is that true? No. To quote our illustrious President Joe Biden, is that a fact, Jack? Because we know teams of Twitter employees built blacklists, prevented disfavored tweets from trending, and actively limited the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret without informing users. And as for lying to Congress under oath, well, that comes with a five-year prison sentence, so don't drop the soap, Jack. You know, if House Republicans had any intestinal fortitude, and I'm hoping come January they will find it, they should prosecute Jack and send a very strong message. Because if someone had to serve hard time for this kind of thing, perhaps it would send a message. A message that would resonate with Zuckerberg and the rest of these big tech wardens with an affinity for filtering conservative speech. But up next, we're about to do a deep dive into the back channels, the dark alleys, the deep space of old Twitter. And Greg Price joins me to break down all of those Twitter files That's next. So by the time this show ends tonight, we'll likely have another Twitter file drop that will reveal even more information about how the platform worked to screw us over. Joining me now with his take on what we know so far is senior digital strategist Greg Price. 
All right, Greg, I've been following you all weekend, uh, talking about these Twitter files. Every day we get, you know, a new little Christmas surprise. So I want to get your top line thoughts on what we know so far. What was the most surprising thing that you saw? Because none of this really surprises me, but there has been some shocking little nuggets here and there. Yeah, it's incredibly damning stuff. I think the, the biggest things we've learned so far is the fact that in the first drop from Matt Taibbi, the fact that the Biden campaign in 2020 was essentially just flagging tweets to Twitter to have them delete. Um, and they apparently were not doing that for the other side. They were just there were these emails saying, hey, another one from the Biden campaign, delete it. Like that's that's literal election interference right there. James Woods was, you know, among the people who were who were in there, I think, in, in the drop that we learned uh, Friday or Saturday about how Twitter was having weekly meetings with the FBI and DHS, probably about censoring the Hunter Biden laptop story because they said it was Russian disinformation, even though the FBI had had it since 2019. That was a major one. And they were so, you know, weekly meetings with our intelligence agencies to rig our elections. That is, you know, it's it's fully insane. And, you know, there, there should there's a lot more to come too. you know, Elon has been hinting about, you know, how Twitter went about censoring COVID misinformation. I think that's going to be probably the worst ones we hear about what they did. To, you know, sent, you know, we already know that they had the blacklists against Dr. Jay Bhattacharya from Stanford, who was, you know, one of the most prominent critic of lockdowns in America. And Twitter was putting him on a blacklist. So, you know, these files are, you know, are incredibly damning. And God bless Elon Musk for bringing them to public light. Yeah, you know, he is almost kind of doing it to his own detriment because he does own the platform now. But I think that his method is to clean house, start with a clean slate, expose everything and then start from scratch, essentially, which is a smart move. Uh, I also want to talk about the Trump ban because that got a little bit of attention over the weekend. You know, Michelle Obama was tweeting for much of yesterday because of the fact that, you know, we we now know that some of her tweets and other prominent people pushing for Trump's ban really did make a difference over at Twitter. And even those folks at Twitter were trying to convince themselves that it made sense to permanently ban Donald Trump. Were you surprised at all at the influence of some of these top tier left wingers? Oh, no, not at all. Because, you know, as Schellenberger uh, noted in his thread that he posted the other day, that 98 percent of Twitter employees don't donated to the Democrat Party. So it's not at all surprised that Michelle Obama, they, they would take the, the opinions of Michelle Obama seriously about who they choose to censor. And, you know, that that was another damning one. The fact that they basically changed you know, they changed their terms of service on the fly to justify taking free speech away from the president of the United States, you know, to, you know, taking uh, the leader of the free world off of the 21st century digital public square. And they and they did. And he didn't even break any of their terms. They just changed them on the fly because they didn't because they didn't like the guy, because obviously they were all Democrats. So that was, you know, we all we all we obviously knew they were they were never enforcing their terms, you know, fairly. We, we knew that you know, for years at this point. And that that basically only confirmed it. Yeah, it definitely confirmed a lot of what we already knew. It's just nice to get the validation sometime, though. But we're not really getting all the validation that we want or that we need because the mainstream media at large is really ignoring these Twitter files. The only thing that I've seen the New York Times or any of these major outlets even comment about what's going on with these Twitter files and the new information and the censorship and the blacklist is talking about how Elon is dangerous and talking about how he shouldn't be going after Fauci with the whole my pronouns or prosecute Fauci. You know, they're all up in arms about that, but very little discussion 
about the information that we have at hand. Now, we know Democrats don't really care about censorship of conservatives because it doesn't impact them and it helps them. But are you surprised at all how they've been able to get away with not bringing up these massive Twitter file drops for the entirety of last week and through the weekend, given that it really was such important breaking news? Oh, no, I'm not surprised at all. So they love censorship. They, they seek to censor their opponents. The, way, the only way the left can win is when their opponents are censored. So it's not surprising at all that the media doesn't care about these, these Twitter files. But, you know, what's equally what's out, what's fully outrageous is just so, how some reporters in the in the corporate media have been reacting to the story. Reporters who essentially have made their living over the past few years by censoring their by working to censor their opponents on Twitter. I'm talking people like Ben Collins and Brandy Zadrozny from NBC News. You know, these people, they work for a news outlet that is subsidized by the most power, powerful telecommunications conglomerate in the world. And they use that power in order to go after conservatives. And then the moment that you have somebody doing actual journalism and you got the moment that happens, they go gung ho to defend to defend the actions of Twitter at the time, because essentially what is happening is their power over the Internet Oh, the, their power to censor the internet is going away. The way these people operate is essentially they will they will reach out at the in the old Twitter they would reach out to them for comment with tweets saying hey these people are spreading misinformation uh, what are you going to do about it and most of the time they would probably censor them and now that power is being taken away from these from these regime hacks in the media and they're pissed off about it and that's you know so obviously they need to downplay the Twitter files because otherwise they won't have the power that they used to. I want to talk about somebody else that maybe is losing some power. And certainly we're learning more about this person, this Yoel Roth. <laughs> Not only instrumental in censoring conservatives, but if you look at his past, what he's written about, what he's tweeted about, it, it really is the definition of what I would call a groomer, a pedophile, or a pedophile sympathizer at the very least. But, you know, we have his tweet talking about, can high school students ever meaningfully consent to sex with their teachers? This is just the tip of the iceberg with this person. And this also goes back to the fact that Twitter now finds it so problematic to be pushing out the truth, but they have no issue with actual groomers, no issue with actual child exploitation and child porn. And maybe this person is largely you know, to blame for that because they seem to sympathize with all those things I just mentioned. So this is really important. And this is something everything in your audience, everybody in your audience needs to understand. The old Twitter under Jack Dorsey, Yoel Roth, and Vijaya Gade cared more about censoring conservative speech than actual child pornography. And, you know, based on tweets like this, it shouldn't be hard to see why. So we already knew that child porn was a problem on Twitter. There was a, there was a case a couple months ago that broke where a 17-year-old kid was suing Twitter because there was, when he was 13 years old, a video that somebody blackmailed him into sending them of him doing sexual acts was put on Twitter. It had over 200,000 views and Twitter refused to take it down because they said that it didn't violate their terms of service. So he was suing Twitter over that. And then Elon comes in and takes over and he commissions this whole team to investigate the problem of child sexual abuse on Twitter. And what they found, which came out the other day too, as the Twitter files were dropping, was even crazier than some of the files themselves. There were over 10 million views combined on child pornography on Twitter that these people found that the old Twitter was doing nothing about. Basically, what they would do is they would they would take down the videos when they found them without suspending the accounts, without nuking them entirely. 
And so some of these accounts were allowed to operate on Twitter for years and years on end until Elon Musk came in and took over just a few months ago. And so, the, but at the same time, they were mobilizing entire departments to censor the Hunter Biden laptop, to censor conservatives, to take down President Donald Trump. They were doing all of, they were, they were putting more effort into rigging the 2020 election than they were to keeping children safe. That is what the old Twitter was. And it's, and you know, this, this guy, Yoel Roth, he was also apparently, he wrote, he apparently wrote his uh, PhD thesis about why uh, young kids uh, should be able to use Grindr and other, you know, other, you know, dating platforms. And so it's not hard to see why they were doing this and not hard to see why they went so hard after libs of TikTok and for exposing mm-hmm. groomers and why they censored even using the word groomer itself. Yeah, because they are groomers and old Twitter really did act as a big tech groomer in and of itself. I wonder, though, there's been some talk about this. Do you think it would do Elon any good to move Twitter headquarters to Texas along with some of his other companies? I think that maybe a new crop of individuals, maybe some diversity in your staff might do the company some good. And I think that sounds like a fantastic idea. Get out of that bastion of liberal indoctrination get some new chains of scenery in the great Lone Star State, you think that would help? I think it would absolutely help. I think decentralizing, you know, the American government out of Washington, D.C. would be good. And I think do, doing the same thing to the tech industry out of Silicon Valley would be would be good as well. And so the, the biggest reason for that is because, so think about this, the Twitter files, at the end of the day, very, you know, Twitter gets all the attention because it's where like all the politicking happens, you know, in, in 2022. But at the end of the day, very, very few Americans actually use Twitter. I think it's some like 30 percent are actually heavily involved on Twitter. And like the I think like 90 percent of all tweets only come from 10 percent of users. So so that so very few Americans actually use Twitter. Now think about companies like Google, which mm-hmm. controls, which essentially has a monopoly over how information flows in our day and age. Some 80% of Americans actually use Google. And we know that Google manipulates search results to the benefit of the left. We know, if you remember James Damore from a couple of years ago, the Google whistleblower who came out and exposed you know, the, the leftist echo chamber that exists in the company. We, we know that the RNC is currently suing Google because they've claimed for years that they've throttled their fundraising abilities. We know Google is already biased to the left. We know they've already rigged their platform in favor of the left. Imagine what would happen if we had a Google files in the same way uh, that we do a Twitter files and how much more control and more impact that actually has over the American people. And the same thing goes with Amazon. Amazon, which has another monopoly over e-commerce in our day. We know they've banned books from people like Abigail Schreier that are critical of transgenderism. Imagine what would happen if we saw an Amazon files and what and how they rig Amazon. So so, you know, get, getting, you know, the tech industry out of a liberal hellhole like, like San Francisco, I think, is, is, definitely, is, is definitely good. And if Elon Musk can, can muster a couple, a couple more billion dollars, maybe he can buy Google and expose all that for us. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? It shouldn't take that, but it would sure be nice. And these blacklists, you're right. If we really could expose all of the blacklists that exist that have been used to throttle conservatives and to just really throttle independent thought that's not friendly to the narrative, I think we would learn a whole lot more about our country. I wonder, though, if we start prosecuting people, you know, if people like Jack Dorsey, who it looks like he lied in front of Congress under oath, which is actually punishable by five years in prison, if we actually went after these individuals who have done this, 
and actually put them behind bars or made them pay some kind of consequence? Do you think that that would send a message to the rest of the big tech world that they better clean up their act? Because I think once you start facing jail time, things change quickly. Oh, yeah, that would be absolutely true. You know, the clip went around of him saying how they don't shadow ban in 2018. That was obviously a lie. The problem is it's never going to happen because it's so easy. It's so easy to get out to, to prove your your case in that because they use they use all these like loaded terms like I do not recall or right. other or, or other things to prevent themselves from being you know indicted in that situation. I think of the, the biggest thing that Congress could do that Republicans in Congress could do is actually pursue antitrust against companies like Google and Amazon, you know, actually go after tech monopolies in a major way, in a major, major way. Um, that, that would be the biggest thing they could do because it's very hard to prosecute these people. It's, it's they, you know, they're powerful. They have all the best lawyers in the country, um, but pursuing actually enforcing antitrust regulations as the government has done with companies like Microsoft in the past is definitely something they should do. That Take away and, their power. That in Section 230, something has to be done. I hope Republicans actually have the intestinal fortitude to do something about it instead of just squawk about it, because for the last several years, we've known this was happening, and it shouldn't take Elon Musk and the Twitter files for us to be able to get some information. But, Greg, uh, we'll just sit tight for another drop, and uh, hopefully we can prosecute Fauci with some of the new information that we have. I look forward to that. It's going to be a very, very Merry Christmas for us over on Twitter. Thanks, as always, for joining us, and thank you for your tweets. I follow you religiously, and I always get a laugh, especially when you post clips of our illustrious press secretary. Those are probably my favorite. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tommy. Thanks for having me on. All right, we'll see you soon. All right, next, she lost her battle to unseat the Wicked Witch of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, but she's far from done fighting the good fight. Tudor Dixon joins me in Nashville next. So my next guest may have lost to Michigan tyrant governor Gretchen Whitmer, but she put up a hell of a fight, and for her, the fight is far from over. Joining me now is former Michigan gubernatorial candidate Tudor Dixon. So I got to tell you, I was heartbroken at that loss because I thought that you were going to pull it out. And I know that there were a lot of factors that contributed to that, but what do you think was the main reason? And you were close, by the way, but they had a lot of money. They had a lot of influence. I get that. But you also had a lot of support in that race. Yeah, we did. And we, at, toward the end, it was amazing. We were going places and people were literally holding on to me crying and saying, we need someone to bring the state back. And I think that's why we felt the momentum had really changed. But there's a lot of factors here. We have the Democrats who are talking about, well, we'll debate at the very last minute. So we got to get her out there and show who she really was, but it was too late because I believe that they were able to win in August when we came out. And Republicans are somewhat slow at support. If you look at the Democrats, if they have a D, that's the person, especially once they come through the primary. The money goes there, the money flows. People are like, that's our candidate, we're gonna support them. Republicans are like, oh, let me see, let me see how she right. does. Let me see if I like her. So we went for several weeks where people, the, the really the donors in the Republican Party were waiting to see what they thought. Then once we had the debate, donors were like, oh, this was great. You really did it. You nailed her. We can go in there and we can really support. And it was too late. But they also have an incredible ground game. And that's what we're missing. You know, when you hear all these people that are playing Monday morning quarterback that weren't on the ground, weren't seeing it, I'm here to say we saw what happened and we have a plan to fix it.
Well, I want to hear about that plan, but I want to go back to something that you said that I think is so important because it's easy for us to talk about the Democrat strategy and we talk about how they have the upper hand. We've got early voting. We've got mass mail-in ballots. We've got all these COVID policies that have been codified that are very frustrating for us. We need to get better at that part of it. But also from a fundraising standpoint, I said this last week and I'm very frustrated with the RNC at a national level. I think we need new leadership because you're right. They seem to put a lot of money into primary races and they seem to fundraise a lot, have a lot of fancy dinners, but then we wonder where that money actually goes. And in your race, watching it right up until the end, you got the influx of money right at the end. Mm. And that would have made a huge difference for you if it had come earlier. So that was very frustrating for me. You're very right about the way Republicans are very hesitant. We are a very independent-minded party in that we have sections of our party and that's okay you know we don't all ride or die together like the democrats do and, and we're proud of that but in some places it would be nice if we would get behind a candidate like yourself that could have made a big difference for michigan michigan is not a blue state michigan is flippable michigan can be solidly red but now we're in this place where these states like michigan and arizona and others pennsylvania being another one i just don't know if we can turn it back well, I, I think that's the frustration that people aren't getting when you look at these races and there's so much discussion. We are letting the leftist media run the narrative because they're co going out there and they're saying, oh, it's a Donald Trump thing. It's a MAGA thing. This is the MAGA candidate. And they label you. And then even our side is like, well, this is the MAGA candidate. So then yeah. all of a sudden you are labeled as something that is you know, whatever that is, that boogeyman in the room is, you're not labeled as the person who's gonna fight for schools. You're not labeled as the person who's gonna bring back manufacturing jobs that understands manufacturing. I look at Georgia and I'm like, I see the Lieutenant Governor of Georgia come out and say, I spent an hour in line and then I decided that Herschel Walker hasn't impressed me enough. And it made my blood boil because right. I'm like, this is our candidate at this point. And how dare you go out on, me, on national media and say, you know what, for me, he's not good enough. Knowing the influence that you have, for me, he's not good enough. And what we have to look at is in these races, it doesn't matter. Look at John Fetterman was clearly impaired after his stroke. Mm -hmm. This was a serious problem and is probably a serious problem with him being in any position of leadership or making decisions for this country. But the Democrats don't care. They're not going out and going, I'm just medically not sure about him. Right. They are all in, you know, and that's one thing that we don't talk about. They are all in. And I love that we are individually minded, like you said, but you have to look at the country as a whole at some mm -hmm. point and say, where are these decisions that are being made hurting us so significantly? And look at Arizona, look at the border, look at what happened last night. You look at this massive migrant caravan that's coming across and we go, wait a minute, we had this under control and mm -hmm. yet nobody's really talking about it. It's a flash in the pan. We have to stop letting the mainstream leftist media write the narrative and we have to be pushing out what's really true we see what elon musk is showing us on twitter we see the the exposure of the fbi and everybody hiding the truth so now it's our opportunity to say this is the truth vote for what is best for the country and sometimes that's the person who's going to make the vote in congress or in the senate right. that benefits our side yeah, because we clutch our pearls and we say, well, that person's not exactly who I wanted yes. to the detriment of our party as a whole. So that's a big problem. But talking about the issues, 
we had so many issues that we could campaign mm -hmm. on and that the party as a whole ran on. But I don't think, as you mentioned, our ground game and our media outreach were strong enough. You know, we can't rely on just Fox News alone to do it. Right. Fox News reports at the border every single day with Bill Malusian, and he's really the only one down there that's reporting on anything, and we are seeing it because we watch Fox News and we're conservative. But if you'd ask the average person on the street that maybe isn't politically active or does not watch Fox News, they would tell you that there really is no problem at the border. They would tell you that, yeah, crime is bad, but it's not really that bad. Yeah, inflation's high, but it's not really that high. All these things that are provable facts, we are not delivering to the people. But what role do you think Roe v. Wade made in this race? Because in your state in particular, a lot of people voted not only on the Trump of it all, but they voted on that singular mm -hmm. issue, worried that if someone like you or more Republicans were elected, that they would take away abortion rights. And I don't think we explained it as a party enough to these voters that were worried about it. 100%. In Michigan, it was very unique because we had a ban on abortion. So as soon as the Dobbs decision was made, that enacted a 1931 ban on abortion in the state of Michigan. And so to come out, we had this proposal on the ballot, the most radical abortion law you can imagine in the entire world. Only China and North Korea have an abortion law like this. But because they were able to go out there, and, and the interesting thing is you can lie. So that's what I think a lot of people don't realize. They don't realize that there's no defamation case when you are a public persona, right? Mm -hmm. People can just lie about you. So they could take my words and twist it and make me sound like I'm going to put people in jail. That's the commercials they're, they're running. She's going to put people in jail. She's going to have forced births. That's a word I've never heard before. Right. That was a new phrase for me. She's going to have forced births, all of this stuff. And it really defined me come August. And it was because unique, uniquely in Michigan, we would have this ban. And so they used that to their advantage of, if you vote for her, she will ban it. We tried to separate. We didn't have the money to go out there and say, look, if you want to vote for this, you can. There's also been a decision made by a judge in Michigan saying that abortion won't be banned. So it's safe here. And it's not something the governor can touch. But it doesn't matter because it's an emotional issue. And they're right. really good with the emotional stuff. They know exactly how to needle mm -hmm. you and make you believe we're taking something away. And someone made a very interesting point to me. They said, you know, when you go to the American public and you say, we're going to take this away from you, then there's a panic. But for us, the going to them and saying, we want to give you choice in school, we want to protect your yep. kids in school, they're like, well, we've never had that, so she's not threatening me. The other side is threatening me, so I must vote to make sure that that doesn't happen. And I think that makes a lot of sense. We have to be looking at things from a different perspective. We can't always be rushing to, to defend their narrative. We have to have a plan. And if you talk about the issues, you know, we have a plan across the country to help kids get back on track, but we're mm -hmm. not good at getting it out there. Right. And we don't have the funding to get that out there, really. That goes back to how do we change that narrative? And it, it does start with the RNC. They're the ones in front of the donors every day. Hey, you guys need to understand what's happening in your states, what's happening across the country can be fixed or we can be destroyed because the funding is there on the other side every single time. Mm -hmm. they the never funding hesitate. is there on our side too though. I think that that's what's frustrating for me is the funding is there. The messaging honestly sucks though. On the abortion issue, we mm -hmm. really sucked as a party on messaging on the abortion issue. In Michigan, it was a different case, but in other states, they voted Democrat because they thought it was going to be banned. Listen, there are certain states it's never going to be banned right. in. These are liberal states. New York was something that bothered me, too, because they thought, well, if I vote for Lee Zeldin, he's going to take away abortion. It's like, 
we messaged that so poorly that people actually thought that that was a reality of voting for any Republican on any ballot, on any ticket in any city or state across the nation. We failed there. Yes. But going back to this taking away thing, you're right. But how did the Democrats get away with taking away so many rights and freedoms for two plus oh. years? And then they asked for COVID amnesty. You know, the mainstream media did. You know, <laughs> we got COVID a little wrong. We're asking to just forget it. And we allowed them to just forget it. And in Michigan, especially, that's what bothered me because there were so many people on both sides of the aisle that were so frustrated by what Gretchen was doing in that state with COVID. And then it came election time and I thought, they are really going to nail her on this because they were so mad at her. Then nothing. So what you said earlier, I think, is key. And this is key across the country. You made the comment about Fox News can't hold the water for everybody. Fox News is not the end-all, be-all. But that's all we have right now in Michigan because our outlets are so far left. And we used to, we have, I had a great comms director who went toe to toe with these people every single day. They just annihilated us as, as many times as they possibly could, but there is no friendly outlet. So where are we as conservatives? Why aren't we even trying? I mean, honestly, I have to say, we are not even trying. We are so in the Twitter space and we're out there thinking that's where we need to put our voice. Locally, put your voice out yep. there. Create those media outlets. Fight back. I mean, they have this space that we're not even playing in. I'm so grateful for folks like you and for Fox News that they are out there fighting. But this has to be a ground game in many different areas. So it's not just the ballot chase, which we see the Democrats are doing very well, but it's the information chase. And look at Michigan. In the midst of this campaign, we give $750 million to a Chinese corporation. And the media goes, look at this, it's gonna be 1,500 jobs in the middle of the state. Maybe in the next 10 years, we'll get these jobs in the middle of the state. But lo and behold, we're sending $715 million to a corporation that is heavily connected to the CCP, the Chinese yeah. Communist Party. So why aren't we out there going, Whoa, red alarm. We are bringing China onto our beautiful state land and giving them property to own and watch us and be in control of us? No way. But there is nobody on our side that has that media narrative out there. So we are ready to fight back on this. We, I've had a lot of people say to me, we've actually never had a great strong voice in Michigan, in the Midwest that can go out and talk on all these issues. And I think that I'm somewhat unique in the political space because I come from steel manufacturing and not a lot of young women come out of that industry mm -hmm. and then go into, and having four daughters also, that combination of manufacturing but also understanding the social issues that are happening with our kids right now, with school, with getting behind, there's not somebody talking about that. We had this amazing team on our campaign that was able to put this information out in a different way and I just look at this and go, gosh, we could create this model across the country mm -hmm. and really start fighting back and giving folks like you that space in each individual state and community where they're going, oh, wait, I read this too. She's not alone. Well, you know, and I will say this, as a millennial, I think another big important thing for the Republican Party moving forward 
is to utilize social media. And I don't mean TikTok because that's a communist enterprise and I'm not on TikTok. But I will say this. The future of media outside of, of Fox News is also individual voices that are doing podcasting like this show is, is in podcast form, but there are so many individuals out there that are taking advantage of podcasting and there are listeners listening to podcasts and Republicans like yourself, and you're doing it, many won't, need to get into the podcast space and they need to dive in with people that have followings, that have podcasts, that have audio, that have digital. That is where Republicans fail. It's great to go on Fox News and speak to the older audience, but the younger audience, they need to be reached where they are and that is a lot of times in podcast or digital form. So you're very, very smart, but, but you're young and you're savvy. So please share this message with other Republicans, <laughs> which leads me to another point, because a lot of people are talking in your state about what's next for you. And there's a lot of rumblings about state party chair. If that's something that you're interested in, a lot of people saw the momentum you were able to gain and they're thinking, we would love it if this woman led our party on the state level. Is that something that you're going to dive into? When I came out of the election, I had a lot of people, you're right, a lot of people came to me and they were like, this is the next step. And that is, when you're coming out of the election, it's really tempting to say, gosh, I just wanted to help. How can I help? This must be the next step. And then we had a very big primary in Michigan for the gubernatorial primary with 10 people. And most of those people have jumped into the state party race. And I said to myself, is that the space I want to be in? Do I want to fight and battle with these folks again? And then potentially I don't end up as state party chair and what does that mean? Or if I do, am I still battling those folks because they have their idea of what this state needs? And I really wanna focus on that ground game and that communication. And I believe that I have the support financially across the state to get the message out in a different way. And I wanna see how our state party does. But for me, state party chair is not the next step. I don't know what the next step is in the future. I know that our my own congressional district, for the first time that I've lived in my area for the last 20 years, we now have a Democrat as our congressional representation. And so I wanna focus on my district and say, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? What can I do to make sure that we win the majority back in the House in the next two years in Michigan because again for the first time we've lost the majority in the House and the Senate for the first mm -hmm. time in 40 years in Michigan. So you have to understand that that Democrat machine is powerful and there are areas that I know that I can be a voice in a different way that can I can expand and grow the state of Michigan and what's happening there outside of state party and I want state party to do well so I hope I can be a great compliment to them. You will, and I see, just from, from my perspective, I see you being a big national driver as well because you do know the strategy and you were able to gain a lot of momentum. And a lot of that was done by you and your team. You weren't given a lot of help until the end. So that says a lot about your grit and your tenacity and your love of your state, but also your love of your country. So I think that there are, are huge things ahead for you. And I think that you are uh, ahead by a mile with a lot of Republicans in understanding the new strategy that needs to be implemented. But we hope that we see you all around national politics, fighting for Michigan, fighting for the U.S. because you're a strong voice and you don't back down. And thank you so much for coming to visit us in Nashville. And you're welcome back in Tennessee anytime. Thank you. I will not back down and I will visit Tennessee, but we're going to fight for Michigan. Absolutely. Well, we need it. <laughs> and we cannot lose again in 2024. No. That is for, for sure. But coming up, speaking of COVID lunacy and tyranny, L.A. County is itching to bring back their face diaper mandate. And you know, I have some final thoughts. That's next. 
LA County liberals are salivating, chomping at the bit, messing their pants with excitement over the potential of bringing back their beloved indoor mask mandate. It's time for final thoughts. You know, Democrats hold two things very near and dear to their hearts, control and face diapers. So we knew this was coming. Though COVID is a glorified cold at this point due to rising cases, not deaths, just cases, LA County is seriously on the verge of reinstating its indoor mask mandate. 49 other states, even very blue, very liberal states, have moved on from COVID hysteria, but not California and certainly not LA. This is how obsessed that godforsaken city still is with face diapering. Does it matter that cloth masks are no more than decoration? Does it matter that less than 6% of hospital beds in LA County are occupied by COVID patients? Does it matter that masking has been proven to be next to useless? No, not in La La Land. But here's what I'd like to ask these unelected health officials, these liberal bureaucrats, and these elected Democrats who are just itching to bring back the almighty mask. Why do you think that'll make a difference? LA does have a surge in cases, again, cases, not deaths, but other cities across the US and even in the state of California aren't experiencing this problem. Those other cities have also long abandoned not only mask mandates, but COVID hysteria itself. So do you think maybe it's time to reevaluate LA County, LA County COVID strategy, and finally come to the realization that mandates don't work? Maybe y'all's immune systems are so weak from hiding out at home in your mask 24-7 for the last three years. Ever ponder that one? And furthermore, beyond control freak Democrat tyrants and the COVID-obsessed liberal green hairs, you know who really loves the concept of perpetual masking? The thugs who loot, smash and grab in stores big and small all across the nation, but especially in Los Angeles, California, because it makes their work a heck of a lot more anonymous and a heck of a lot easier. You know, I really want to believe that that city and that state are savable, but with each passing day, the light at the end of the Golden State Tunnel gets dimmer and dimmer. And those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show on Outkick.com, as well as exclusive clips and content from Nashville. God bless and take care.